0: Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right, CC, how we doing at the 9 a.m. Both campuses, we good today? Would you guys just welcome in our South Campus right now? We are one church in two locations, so can you guys give it up? South, we are glad that you're with us today. Hey, just real quick, uh, my name's Bryant, Lee pastor, if you're brand new with us, um, and our, our church continues to grow, did throughout the summer, last week, um, was our largest ever besides a non-holiday or besides a holiday, largest attendance ever. So three of our, our four services, this is the only one, so you guys need to get going. Last week, that was over 80% capacity. And so I tell you that to tell you this, mission always requires sacrifice. And so those of you, we've been saying from the beginning, if you can find a service, plant yourself there as much as possible, you're gonna get the same mix of simulcast and um, live on stage, and you free up a seat for somebody else. And we are all about removing every barrier to people connecting with Jesus. So I just want to encourage you. That's a public service announcement. I also want to say this too. There's tons of new people constantly moving the direction of other people you don't know. Because all there's people at all of our services and nobody knows anybody um, in large part. And so I know I'm talking to a lot of extroverts I'm an introvert. I get it. I'm the king of awkward conversations face to face. I can do this. Get me one on one. I become an idiot. So I'm just saying though, do what you can to move in the direction of other people and just get to know them or say hi. And like we are a body and a family. We don't come and just sit in rows. We're a movement that's about community and about people. So, um, if you believe that, you can just be really quiet like the North is and, um, pretend you didn't hear a word I said the last three minutes and that'll be amazing. And, um, I can see how fired up you're going to make me to preach this message to your quiet crickets in the room. So that's that's pretty encouraging um, on this Sunday. So. I'm just deciding if I want to preach this, honestly, I'm just deciding, do I want to move forward um, or am I just going to preach to the camera the whole time and believe by faith the South is with me? Um, OK, so here's my question for you. We'll see how it goes. Um, here's my question for you. Who's on the Who's on the verge of like a? And I'm not sure why my voice hit that octave right there, but who Who's on the verge of a really, really major decision right now? So once again, South. I hope uh, maybe Maybe I'm talking to somebody there, or maybe this This message is not relevant to anybody. So South, is there anybody I want to see your hands that's on the verge of a really major decision right now? I see you. So. Here's my question, and maybe there is one or two in this room. The question is, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, um, our, our life, like, we are constantly confronted with major decisions where there's uncertainty. And a lot of times, like, we know it. Like, there's certain decisions on the front end. We know they have massive implications. So, like, am I going to take this job? Uh, like, that's a huge decision. That can mean a lot for this next season of your life. Are we going to move down this road toward marriage? And like some of you are in a relationship and it's creeping that direction and you're starting to, you know, break out in cold sweats and you're wondering, like, is this right? Should we move in this direction? Others of you, it's a, a decision about what school to go to, what, ma- what major you should declare. For others of you, a dream that maybe you feel like you should pursue and go after. But here's the thing with, with all of those things is a lot of times there is tremendous uncertainty with. What's the right thing, man? Where do I go? Like how many of you with like a really major decision, meaning a decision you knew there was gonna be some big implications either positively or negatively, how many of you get to those decisions and you're 100% sure? Like how many of you are even 70% sure? Like maybe it's just me. I feel like more and more like as I've gotten a little older, I've had to like get comfortable in this space of like really major decisions where I'm like, I'm about 60% sure this is the right decision. And here's the thing I think that like I misunderstood even about following Jesus is I thought that there would be far less uncertainty and ambiguity and mystery. And maybe some of that is a little bit what I was unintentionally taught, but it's just like, hey, here's three things and follow Jesus and it's going to be pretty cut and dry. And it's not like there's some things where it works out that way. But in so much of the circumstances and decisions, I'm just like, really, like, I'm not sure. And here's the thing. I think in our culture, um, we can be more paralyzed by uncertainty than ever before like, because we have more choices than ever before. Like, I don't know how many, I don't watch a lot of TV, but every once in a while, when I've got some space and I'm like sitting there and I turn Netflix on. And then my wife comes back an hour later. She's like, what are you watching? Like, I don't know. I'm still just surfing. And now I think it's going to be a documentary on bees. Like, I don't know what to watch. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's so many choices we get paralyzed by. It. And so on the front end of making a huge decision, I mean they're, like, there's a lot of, okay, where's this going to go? Like, how's this job going to affect my family? How is this, yes, if we move down the road toward marriage, like, what's this going to be for my life? I mean, come on, let's just be really real. If you marry crazy, that's going to have massive implications for the trajectory of your life. Can I get an amen from anybody at either campus? And this is going to get way too real for some of you, and you may not come back. So it was good having you for this one Sunday, but um, My wife and I, we've been really honest about that first year of marriage. I mean, we both looked at each other several times. We're like, I was a 100% wedding day. I'm about 55% sure right now that this was the right decision. Like, I don't know if this is going to go in a good place. And it did. And we're happily married in case you're nervous. But I'm just saying that first year, I mean, there's all kinds of things like that. If you're a parent, you get into seasons where like, You're struggling with your kid, and you're trying to find answers, and you don't really know what the right tactic is. Like you, you don't. There's a dream, and you're afraid you're going to look like an idiot if you pursue it. I mean, there's just so many things where you can be hampered or even paralyzed by uncertainty. But here's the other thing about it: there's certain decisions, and this is maybe even more um, frightening. Is you don't know when they're going to be major decisions. Like it's only in hindsight that you look back and you kind of didn't give it a lot of airtime in terms of your thought process at the time. And now, as you look back, that decision had major implications for your life and you had no idea. So, my point is just this there is uncertainty in every season of our life. There are decisions that we come upon that are massive. And if you don't believe the God thing or you're here investigating Jesus, and I'm so glad you are, it's still a big deal to you. Because maybe your thing is just, hey, I don't wanna make a dumpster fire out of this decision. We all want right decision. If you're a Jesus follower, then maybe it's different. It's, hey, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want in this season? What do you want with this decision? But I'm not really sure. And you haven't given me a verse. So I don't know how I'm gonna move forward. Like, here's the thing I think I'm trying to, I, I'm starting to figure out is I'm a little bit of a control freak and I don't know why that, <laughs> um, is that somebody on our staff? Who was that? I'm a little bit of, I'm a little offended actually right now. Um, but I'm a little bit of a control freak, um, it's out there's weird laughter in the room. Um, and I've realized like, cause I have spent a lot of time trying to eliminate uncertainty with certain things. I mean, just a lot of time. And I just have come to the place where I've realized I can't eliminate a lot of that uncertainty that I spent a lot of my life trying to eliminate. But here's what I've discovered is I can, I can choose how I respond to the uncertainty and I can choose how I live. And this is where, with what I want to talk about for a few minutes, this is where uncertainty is a paper tiger, meaning not that it's not real, as we said about insecurity last week, not that it can't paralyze you, not that it can't debilitate you. And for some of us, that's exactly where we're at right now. But a paper tiger is, it appears strong, but it's all show, it's nothing to fear. And for a lot of us, that's the word right there because we fear so much the future. We fear, where's this gonna end up? We fear, what if I make a wrong decision, where this is gonna lead me? And it's not that you're just like, hey, screw everybody, I'm gonna do what I want. You're genuinely like, I wanna make the right decision, but I'm not sure what the right decision is. And here's what I tell you. You can't reduce a lot of the uncertainty you're trying to reduce or eliminate, but you can control how you respond to it and you can control how you live. And here's the thing uncertainty in terms of biblical terms as a follower of Jesus, and and maybe this is gonna be true of everybody, but uncertainty is always an opportunity. And I think we spend a lot of times trying to eliminate and reduce the very thing that God wants to use maybe most powerfully in our life. And in fact, in certain seasons, God's not trying to reduce the uncertainty. This may be unsettling. He's trying to amp it up in your life. And you can either hide, you can either be debilitated or paralyzed, or you can move forward, but you do have control of how you respond and how you live. About uh, nine years ago, I was sitting on the beach in Anna Maria Island, and other than um, you know marrying my wife and closing to her and, and going that direction, this was the, the largest decision I ever made where I felt like God um, was calling me to, to replant this church, which became a replant. And um, I felt like God was speaking to me. I felt woefully underqualified. And I just was i was just recognizing the implications. Like you go get a new job, no big deal. You can change jobs. You do something like start a church, it's somewhat public. Everybody watches you fail. Um, so you can't really like, oh, yeah, you, you can't really just brush that off. Like, I thought you started a church three weeks ago. No, it didn't work out. Like everybody's gonna know about it, right? And um, I, I just like, there was so much uncertainty. And I really felt like, God, this is like a big deal. And I really want to follow you in this. I feel like you should throw me a bone here and give me a little bit more because I don't have a lot to work off of. And there was this narrative that I was reading at the beach on Anna Maria Island, just trying to clear my head to go, God, really what do you want? I'm so afraid of the risk. I'm so afraid of committing to this because I know it's going to be a big deal for my life. My kids are probably gonna have to have counseling because I grew up in a pastor's home. Like, it's going to be a big deal. I, I don't know if this is what you want. And God used this narrative Um, to just lead me in a direction that I've come back to over and over and over and over again throughout my life. And it's a narrative in the Old Testament where Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And if you don't know the story, you can track with it and I'll catch you up. But Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And when he becomes king, um, Israel is surrounded by enemies and the chief enemy to Israel is the Philistines. And the Philistines are bigger and badder than the Israelites are by about 10 times. But they are the major obstacle to Israel. And Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan and Jonathan kind of becomes Saul, his dad's kind of right-hand man um, at some level early on in leading this kingdom. And so all that Saul had was a promise. And the promise was, hey, Saul, I'm going to make Israel a great nation and I'm gonna show off to the world what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And it's really gonna be the prelude to an even greater promise that's gonna send a savior into the world. And so Saul, listen to me. Hey, your cabinet, listen to me. Here's what you just need to know. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna fight for you. I'm gonna direct you. But everything in regard to the journey of where I'm taking Israel is gonna be uncertainty. And I'm not gonna tell you how to get there. I'm just gonna tell you the outcome. I will be with you, but you gotta follow me. You gotta trust me. And you gotta get really, really comfortable with uncertainty. And so early on, Saul starts to uh, you know finagle his troops and he sends 3,000 people on kind of the top of this hill called Mi'kmash. And then on Gibeah, which is the other side, there's like a a ravine or valley in between. On Michmash, there was another thousand men. Jonathan was with the thousand. Saul was with the 3,000. They're about to face down the Philistines or or they at least are preparing for defensive measures because the Philistines are gonna come after them. And, And again, all they have, all they have is God going, hey, good luck. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. That's all the information you're getting. Okay, like I need more than that. And so here's the here's The Philistines, the Philistines have 3,000 chariots. They have 6,000 charioteers. I forget what those are. I should have looked it up, but they're fierce fighting machines, I can assure you. And then they have an army that it says, and this is hyperbole, but it just means a lot, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So you're talking about 10,000, that's way conservative plus Philistine fighting men and about 4,000 spread out between the Israelites. So they are way outmatched. And so what do you do in those odds? What do you do with that kind of uncertainty with, okay, yeah, I know you're God and I know you've promised to take care of us, but are you kidding me? What do you do? You run and hide. And so they start hiding in ravines and caves and pits and cisterns all the way till there is 600 Israelites left. And you know, those 600 men are not your most mentally stable men. Like, send me in, are you serious? There's 600 men left and they're way outnumbered. In fact, this is so interesting. The Philistines monopolized all the blacksmiths around the area. So basically Israel couldn't even make any weapons. They had like a couple swords and a shield against all of the Philistines fighting men and all of their armor and all of their Weapons, because again they had all of the blacksmiths in their back pocket, and so there they are: three thousand here, a thousand here. The Philistine army that way outnumbers them, and God's like, "Hey, I'm going to go with you in the coming years. Good luck." And in First Samuel thirteen twenty-two, it says this: So on the day of the battle, after the the Israelites had prepared for it, not a soldier with Saul or Jonathan had a sword or a spear. Are oh, you guys are ready? And only Saul and his son, Jonathan, had them. So they have no weapons. They're completely outnumbered. Thousands of their men are hiding in pits and caves and rocks. And the only thing that they have is a promise from God that said, I'm going to fight for you guys. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to be with you. And I know you don't see it, but I need you to trust me and nothing about this is going to be certain, and you just have to be okay with that. And in 1 Samuel 14:1, skipping down, Jonathan basically, like he's there, and they're sitting on the tops of, of these mountains for a little while, and Jonathan, uh, I don't know what he is on the Enneagram, but he just starts to get restless, like, oh, we got to do something. Like we, can't, we just can't, number one, it's embarrassing. All our men are hiding. God's given us a promise. We're, we're sitting here because we're paralyzed about we're overwhelmed. We don't know how it's gonna turn out. We don't know what our next move is. And I get all that, but somebody's gotta do something and somebody's gotta act. And so verse one, one day, meaning Jonathan going, now's the day, somebody has just gotta do something. And I don't even know what the something is. We need to make it up as we go. But Jonathan, son of Saul said to his young armor bear, Come. Let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. And basically what they need to do is pass through these this pass through the cliffs of Michmash and Gibeah to get to the other side. And again, I don't know if Jonathan at this point has a plan. He just knows that they need to start moving in the direction of this enemy because God said, I I want you to stare them down. I want you to confront them. And then this is really interesting, the end of verse one, but he did not tell his father. And here's the reason he didn't tell his father, because right before this, God had been very specific. This is one of the times he wasn't ambiguous at all. I'd been very specific with Saul in a specific incidence after becoming king that, hey, Saul, I want you to wait for me. Um, I, I have a specific timing here before you do anything. I'll let you know I'm gonna send my prophet. And Saul is sitting there waiting and his men start freaking out because it's so uncertain. They feel like the armies of the enemies are closing in. And so Saul starts to feel all of the uncertainty and the pressure of his men and his army around him. And so Saul decides to act when God had clearly told him, I don't want you to act. And he listened to all of the wrong voices around him. And finally, God sends the prophet and the prophet says, Saul, what are you doing, man? God specifically told you to wait that he was gonna come through, but his timing was gonna be perfect. And you started to listen to all of the voices around you and you've made a terrible decision. And so at this point, Jonathan's like, I love my dad, but I'm not gonna make that mistake again. Can I just tell you one thing real quick and then we'll move on? In those times of incredible uncertainty for you, where you genuinely, like if you're a follower of Jesus, I want what God wants, the voices that you listen to in that space and in that season will determine everything about the future. The voices that you lean into will determine everything. And here's how I would break it down is, are the voices around you right now in a place of uncertainty, are they feeding fear or are they feeding faith? And what what they're feeding may determine everything for the trajectory in this next season and what God wants to do. Like one of the things I get so tired of is other parents constantly going, well, just wait, just wait, just wait. When they're whatever age, here's what's gonna, and I just wanna go lovingly, shut up. Like your experience about the future isn't necessarily my experience and I'm not going to get into this place where I'm debilitated by the uncertainty of the future or cynical about the future because of how your story went down because your story is not my story and I'm not allowing your fear to feed my future. Like for others of us, oh you are alive at the North Campus. That's great. Uh when when we stepped out to to relaunch this church literally. I mean this is so a brazen, but maybe he maybe thought he was doing me a favor. There's a guy close to me, he's like, listen, dude, this thing is not gonna last six months. But thank you, man, for that encouragement and speaking over my life. Who you listen to determines everything. man. sometimes you're in a place right now where God's calling you to move and there's some voices of fear chirping in your ear. And one of the sole reasons that they're trying to hamper you is because of their own insecurity. Because a lot of times if we're not willing to obey God, there's this human nature where we start to sabotage other people's willingness to step out and obey God. Like what voices you're leaning into may determine everything. But here's what I also say. It doesn't mean that the right voices are going to tell you what you want to hear. For some of you, you're on the verge of a decision right now, and there are one or two voices that you won't tune into, you won't listen to, and it has nothing to do with their wisdom It has nothing to do with what they have to offer. It has nothing to do with your trust in that individual. It has everything to do with you started to make up your mind in a certain area and you kind of have a feeling of what they're gonna say. And so you are shutting out those voices on the verge of this decision. And I just wanna tell you, the voices that you won't tune into and the voices that you won't listen to may be the voice of God on the verge of this decision that has massive implications for the rest of your life. And you're sitting here going, God, where are you at? And God's going, I'm in the one or two people sitting right next to you that you won't listen to. Who you listen to in a place of uncertainty determines everything. And come on, not out of disrespect or unlove, but there's voices you need to shut down and run away from. And there's other voices that you need to tune into. And you've got to answer the question, are they feeding fear or are they feeding faith? And so there Jonathan is, and in verse six, he turns at this point in his life to the person who is his most trusted individual. He's been with this guy, he gets overlooked, but your armor bear was a big deal in that time. And so, so Jonathan trusts him implicitly. And so verse six, Jonathan says to his armor bear, come, like, let's go. Meaning we, we gotta do something. We gotta go beyond good intentions. And I'm not trying to be stupid here, but the God of the armies of Israel has made us a promise. And we're sitting around here with men hiding in caves and we're not doing anything. And come on, it's one thing to have good intentions or a good idea. It's another thing to act. Like one of the things I think that like frustrates me a little bit, and like, let me just speak about church war for a second. Everybody has good ideas, Like, hey, you know, I think that we should like, what would be a great idea is if that, you know, that's great. You may be called by God to initiate and to run that idea out to its fruition. And so I love that you have an idea. Everybody in the world has an idea. It's another thing to have an intention and an idea about our city and what needs to be changed and who God needs to reach and where we need to go and what needs to change. It's another thing to go, I've been called to do it and I'm gonna go beyond this cultural Christianity of believing stuff and attending stuff and feeling stuff and crying during worship, walking out, telling somebody my idea, not doing anything about it. And Jonathan's like, I'm not gonna be that guy. If you wanna change your city, take an idea and start to run with it and do something and God may direct in the process. Everybody has an idea. I had a great idea for a new app recently that I realized had already been created. Like everybody's got an idea. Jonathan's like, we just need to go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. And that just meant those who were outside of Israel and God's calling and God's promise. And then I love this. this, is, this is, the whole narrative was to get here. I love this. Jonathan's like, we're going to go. We're going to move toward the Philistines, end of verse six. And perhaps, perhaps the Lord's going to act on our behalf. I love the realness. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to go, but I'm not really sure it's going to work. <laughs> I don't know if this is the right thing. I don't know if this is going to end badly. But I know we need to do something. So maybe God's going to move. And the only thing that Jonathan has right now is is a promise with no idea how it's going to play out. All the odds are against him. He has no manpower. Statistically, it is a bad idea. But he knows that God has, called, has not called them to stay put being taunted by their enemies. Listen, sometimes as you're on the verge of the decision, one of the clarifying factors is knowing what you shouldn't do. Like, I know that I can't stay here. I know that I can't allow this. I know that I can't sit on this feeling. So I don't know where it's going to lead me. I don't know exactly how this is going to play out. I just know this isn't right. I just know I can't stay here. I just know I can't stay inactive. I know that God at some level is calling me out. And so Jonathan's like, we just have to do something and maybe God's going to move. Listen, are you able to act? when all you have is a perhaps and a promise? Are you able to move when all you have is a hmm and a promise? And the promise isn't that everything's going to work out all right. That would be easy. The promise isn't, well, if you just have enough faith, you're going to faith it into reality and God's going to make it happen. That's not the promise. But listen, come on, church. God's made us some promises. Is that true or not? God's made it Jesus himself. Hey, listen, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus has made us some promises like, I will direct your paths. I am personally, it's me, move toward me. I am the light of the world. I speaking through David, delight yourself in Jesus, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you, or the literal translation, he will transform the desires of your heart. The more you wanna follow him and go, I just wanna step in your direction, even when I'm uncertain, God's like, I'll begin to make your desires my desires, so literally when you feel it, that's me calling you to act, and it's not about you, it's about me working in you, but I have Promise that I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to light the way. So can you move on a perhaps and a promise when you're only about sixty percent sure? I know, but there's still so much information I don't have, and I want to make a wrong decision. And God's going, listen. These promises aren't predicated on your certainty; they're predicated on your uncertainty. For some of us, the reason we haven't felt the weight of those promises more significantly is because we haven't done anything where we need them. Like direction and the promise of direction is really powerful when you don't have any. Light is really powerful when you start walking in directions where it's dark and you don't know what's gonna happen next, but you just have a feeling God's leading you there. And that's when the light of the world becomes really powerful. That light doesn't mean a lot if you're living in a place where everything's certain and everything is for sure. That light is really not that powerful because you don't need it. When God says, listen, I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you, there's moments that you step out and you believe God, and in that moment, the only thing you have to cling to because you're not sure if this was dumb or not is I know that God said he's not gonna leave me. I know that he said he's not gonna forsake me, and the best I know, I'm stepping in faith, and when you step in faith, when you move in the direction of I'm not sure, but I want what you want, God will direct you. God will light the way. God will make sure that you are never left alone. Come on, there's one more promise. I'm the good shepherd. I'm not a reluctant shepherd. A shepherd leads his sheep. When did you think that that promise was based on, you just always know what the next step is? You have no idea what the next step is, but you serve a good shepherd and he is more committed to your destiny than you are. He is more committed to the outcomes of your life than you are. He is more committed to the outcomes of your kid's life then you are. And he says to every single one of us, listen, I'm going to direct you, but you've got to trust me. And it's not about perfection. It's about direction. I want you to move in my direction. And sometimes you've got to move in the midst of a whole lot of uncertainty. Can I just say this? And I know like people could take this and do all kinds of crazy stuff with it. So I'll address that in a few minutes, but I got to trust the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in these spaces. But listen, for some of you, the most spiritual thing that you could do today, the most spiritual thing that you could do right now is to do something. For some of you, you're in a place right now and you know that God is calling you to act and the most powerful thing that you could do is the next right thing in front of you when you don't know what the next thing after that thing is. And come on, can we just say this and I'll move on? God's bigger than your decisions. And listen, he's not advocating your stupidity. But when you are best you know, when you are doing something in faith, meaning I I, I just, God, I want to move in your direction and I want what you want. Listen, even in that, God is bigger than your decisions. He will take your bad and work it for good like God is going to lead you and direct you. And part of your growing faith is I'm going to step and I'm going to move. And all I've got in this moment is a promise and a perhaps, but that's enough. And I think God is calling me. And here's what I know. I'm not going to be debilitated by fear and uncertainty because he is the only one who controls my future and he's good at it. And when my heart is toward him, he can override even my bad decisions to move me to the place that he wants me in my life, but I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to grow in faith. And the only way I'm going to do it is if I take some steps in darkness where I need some light. And so he says this, this is Jonathan. So nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, rescuing, whether by few, which is looking like that, or by many. Meaning, I don't, I don't know if we're a part of that or not. This is just real. I don't, I still don't know if this is a bad idea or not. I just know the outcome, and I'm willing to move on to perhaps because I know the outcome, even though God's not giving me any information about the process. And so, verse seven, His armor bears is like, "Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, and you need some people like this." In your life, not people who are naive, people who are feeding faith, who've got some wisdom, who've been at this for a little while, but you need some people like this. I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm going to feed your faith right now. And Jonathan said, Come on, then. This is, this is crazy. Jonathan said, Come on. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. Does nobody else get that? Like, this is the plan. Hey, we're just going to go out. There's two of us. There's like 20,000 of them. So here, here's what we'll do. I think we're close enough now. Let's just come out and wave to them and see what happens. What? Okay, so here's the deal. Isn't this true? It's just in life. We are all making up crap as we go. Excuse my language. So I'll, I'll just give you one example and I got to move on. But just I, I've heard this example and it's so true, like with my kids. I started, when we had kids, I started reading parenting books, right? Because that's what you do. And then I realized that nobody has a clue what they're talking about. You wrote a book based on the bent of your kid and the way they turned out had way less to do with you than it just did how God wired them. And now you're writing a book about it. And hey, congrats to you. You sold some copies. You are making that crap up. And it does not apply to my kid in one instance because they are wired completely different. It is no help. You made it all up. All of us are just making it up as we go. We're just making it up as we go. Parenting, you are making it up as you go. But here's really my point is sometimes when God calls you to step out, you're just gonna look dumb. You're just gonna look dumb. Hey, for real, you're gonna quit that career and that security and you're gonna pursue that. Huh? You you're gonna stay in that relationship. You're gonna walk away from that kind of money. You're gonna raise your kids like that in 2019? Like I'll never forget when God was calling me to take for me what was a huge step of faith with no experience and no money, and and I just remember I had to leave a really, really dream. And that's a good point. You don't need to cut me off right now. It's gonna, and I, I just remember like in certain seasons, like there's certain people I just wouldn't even tell. So I'm like, this is so stupid. This I don't even know, how, it, it, there's parts of this that feel irresponsible where people are not even gonna understand it. But I got to the point where I knew, I knew what God was calling me to do, even if I look dumb. And So Jonathan's like, and thankfully, he's not gonna ask you to do this, but John says, like, let's just go out and wave at them. And so verse nine, if they say to us, and this is really like, somehow the Holy Spirit was just directing him like, hey, God's gonna show himself through this. But if they say to us, wait until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. You better hope so. I've heard Erwin McManus say this before. Sometimes you just gotta go until you get a no. Sometimes what's right in front of you, you're not really certain, but you gotta trust that when you take a step that is a step of faith, again, meaning it's in the direction of God, I want what you want, that, that God's gonna show the way. And God has the ability to shut and close doors for you. It's Paul on the way to Asia. And Paul's like, we need to get there. We need to preach the gospel. We need to go. And Paul literally, as he's on his way in Acts 16, 7, it says the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow him. Hey, Paul, I know what you want to do. I'm shutting this down. Like there's incredible confidence. And sometimes you just need to go until you get a no. And to quote McManus again, listen, God always, always gives clarity after obedience, never beforehand. Sometimes you just have to step and ultimately uncertainty can paralyze you. It can keep you into a place where you're hiding, where you're unwilling to move because you're thinking about all of the implications and God, I'm not really sure, but come on. Sometimes you just have to confront it and you're waiting for more information and God's not willing to give you more information. Like I've heard it said, like God is gonna work and move through your intellect, but God is not confined by it. And sometimes he wants to supersede the information that you have because he's about a relationship based on trust. And so he's going, listen, I want you to move. I want you to go because I want to develop in you the kind of faith that is not dependent on certainty. That's not dependent on a lack of mystery. Sometimes it's not dependent on a lack, a little bit of confusion with the promise of, If you're stepping toward me, I'll direct your paths. So verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, and they start throwing shade on them for good reason. Here's the Hebrews crawling out of their holes that they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. That is old school trash talk in the Old Testament, right? That's as bad as it got. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. This is all I got. I don't know. But come on, climb up after me. And they start, they've got to climb up in these crevices and these rocks. He says, climb up. The Lord has given. As as if it already happened because they don't know the process, but they know the outcome. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel because... We've been given a promise, and Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet. Can you imagine that sight with his armor bearer right behind him? And the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. Then this is crazy. Verse fifteen, and then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook, and it was a panic sent by God and Saul looks look Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army I love this language saw the army melting away in every direction and it's only at this point where Jonathan's like I think it worked And what I love is God in this moment is giving them the victory, but here's what is so real. He gave them no information leading up to this point. How in the world does Jonathan know that's the right decision? He doesn't. How does he know that that's what God's gonna use? He doesn't. How does he know that this is the right? He doesn't. He just knows he's been given a promise. And when you take a promise and move on a perhaps, perhaps, Toward God and toward what God wants, God's gonna intervene, God's gonna move. And I don't know like all of the theology behind this. Is this what God was planning? Obviously God knows the future. Or was he just like, hey, I'm gonna give you five options. That was literally the fifth option, Jonathan, but we're gonna go with it. I'm gonna use it to bring about victory for the nation of Israel. I don't know, but God did it. And Jonathan was willing to act when he had no certainty or playbook a process for how to get there. You know, it's interesting that in the scripture, there's only one thing that you find in the New Testament Jesus is ever amazed about. He's not amazed about like your church attendance or how you pray. He got in those people's faces all the time. He's not amazed by your theological knowledge. The things that we get all just geeked out about, which I think that is a term from 2005 is the only thing I could think of, Um Like God's not really impressed with, the the one thing that God is impressed with is when he's with the centurion in the New Testament and the centurion is talking about his son who is sick and he expresses this incredible faith to Jesus about the fact that Jesus could heal him, honestly, remotely, he didn't even need to come. He's just like, you say the word and he's gonna be healed. And I love the line where Jesus looks at this guy who in the minds of Jewish people, by the way, was an enemy, He he was a Roman centurion. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, this guy's faith telling the Jewish people around him, amazes me the only thing that capture i mean really captures the attention in the heart of god is your faith and so then saul verse 17 said said to the men who were with him muster the forces and see who has left us and they did and imagine saul's surprise it was jonathan and his armor bearer who weren't there it's two men no guarantees No certainty, just willing to move on a perhaps and a promise. And the uncertainty was real. The indecisiveness was real. The prospect of defeat was real. Listen, God was ultimately going to deliver Israel. It didn't mean he was going to deliver them in this battle. Jonathan had no certainty whatsoever, but the paralyzing fear of the future was a paper tiger because they had been given a promise that gave them the courage to move on a perhaps where God said, Unequivocally, without stuttering, I'm gonna fight for you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna direct you when you are unsure. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer like, we don't know, but here's what we know. We serve the God of the armies of Israel, the God that was with Joshua, the God that was with Moses, the God who has done things that are beyond our comprehension. And if he said it, he's gonna do it. And so I'm not sure, but I'm sure enough to know he's gonna go with us and it's gonna work out. And I don't know the process but I know the outcome. So a perhaps and a promise is enough when you're following and you're in communication and you're in connection with that kind of God. It's gonna be okay. And so my question for you is just this, like what what if the thing that right now, some of you, you're here, maybe some of you are about to be here, so file this away. What if the thing that that you are paralyzed by, you're trying to get more statistics and information or you, you just have, You just have kind of moved to the side what you kind of already feel prompted to do. What what if it's just a paper tiger? Meaning, what if God's not even trying to eliminate that uncertainty? This is a season of your life where He's ramping it up for you. And you can't control that. But you can control how you respond right now and you can control how you live. But I'm telling you, the uncertainty that you are facing down in this moment is an opportunity for God to do something that God may not do in any other arena or avenue of your life. And come on, God's not left us in the dark. If you ever place your faith and trust in Christ, if you haven't, online, radio, live streaming or in the house today, like God's promised to direct you. God is not some absent weird father that gets all, like imagine if I got all of my kids in our Toyota Sequoia in the driveway and I'm like, we're going to the zoo, we're going to Disney again. I get them in there, they get buckled in, I start the car and then I just leave and go hide in the backyard. Like you would call, what, what's the child protective services? Like this dude is mentally unstable. Like there's something not right. And I just hung out there for hours while my kids were in the car. Like I, I would be mentally off. And yet somehow that's how we view God that he's getting you in the car, seat you in, turns on the air and he's like, peace. I'm, I'm stepping out of the driver's seat. I'll be in a fetal position in the backyard. No, God's driving the car. God's willing to go with you. God's gonna direct you. He will not leave you on your own. And just because things are uncertain does not mean that God is absent, but God's playing off the uncertainty because he wants relationship with you based on faith. And come on, one more thing. I gotta say this. This is not advocating your stupidity. The one person it's like, he knows a family member. Like, I, I get it. God's not calling you to start a business when you haven't been able to balance a budget for five years and you have no business acumen. That is not faith. Faith is gonna be outside of your comfort, but within your competency. Jonathan didn't go with no direction whatsoever. But here's the thing. Let me give you a couple things and then we're gonna be done. I just wanna give you four things if you're on the verge of something right now. And the first one, first two really, we've already talked about. What voices are you tuning into that you need to tune out? Can I just tell you something? This is for free. There are certain things that God's gonna place on your heart, and if you reveal them too early to some people around you, they will be the voice of the enemy to squash what God is trying to incubate in you for a future season. But if you reveal that too early because it just seems a little crazy and stupid right now, I'm telling you, you give a door that is open to the enemy to thwart what God wants to do before it gets started. Be very careful to the voices that you tune into specifically around the vision that God's given you in an early stage. What voices are you tuning into? Listen, can I just go really hard here for a second, man? Some of you you, you have an adult kid and you're the voice of fear, and you are far more concerned about their career trajectory and their 401k than you are about their calling. Don't be that parent that buys into this ridiculous idea of an American dream where if you just get this regardless of what it takes to get there, then your kid's gonna be happy and successful when all of the evidence tells you that that is not true. The greatest thing they could do with their life is get in the rhythm of God's will and follow the calling for their life. Do not be one of the voices that they need to tune out because you are so concerned about their perceived security and their financial future that you literally are a mouthpiece of the enemy to shut down what God's doing in their life. Some of you, you're in a place right now where you're in a relationship where a thousand voices are telling you to go and you know that God is calling you to stay and it seems crazy and you've got all of the evidence that you could talk, and I'm not talking about abuse or some situation like that, but I'm talking about you're in a relationship right now where you can convince all of your friends and all of them are with with you. But you know, that there's, There's some voices you know you need to tune into. You know what God's calling. Others, God's calling you to leave something and leaving that money, that security seems really, really hard and it's really hard to explain. And you look a little dumb and you know you need to move and you are tuning into some voices that are simply affirming. What you've already decided and you may be shutting out the voice of God. Second thing, what voices are you tuning out that you need to tune into? For some of you, there's one or two people that you need to walk out of here today and it may be a little hard to hear, but you need to sit down and go, hey, here's where I'm at. I need to know what you think because I have enough track record in my life that I don't wanna confirm my own confirmation biases. We have all made enough dumb decisions to know that living life like that does not end well. And so I'm going to tune into some voices that I didn't want to hear because those voices are the voices I've been overpowering. I've been out arguing because I can talk better. But in my heart, I know in those very voices that I have not tuned into, may be the voice of God. Third thing, can I just ask you this question? If you're on the verge of some huge decision with uncertainty, are you being honest with you? We have this tremendous capacity to make up some story about why we're doing what we're doing. And then we, over time, start to believe that lie. And we make, we make up stories about why we moved in with them. That's not really the reason. We make up stories about why we left. We make up stories about why we said no. And the reason seems great, but you know that you're lying to you. And I'm telling you, God can't do what he wants to do as long as you can't be honest with you. Why are you pursuing this really? And the last thing, will this decision that maybe you're on the verge of, will this hurt you or will this help you in fulfilling your most important calling? This is clarifying. Do you know what your most important calling is? Is Jesus in upper room before he's about to give up his life and he says, hey guys, if you forget everything else, it's gonna be a lot of chaos, a lot of clutter, a lot of white noise, forget everything else. Here's the measure of success for your life. And at times when there's some ambiguity, and uncertainty, just start to ask this question. But I want you to love other people and I want you to love you the way that I've loved you. And that will lead you, even when you are in some really dark situations and you don't know the way forward, when you start to go, okay, I'm not really sure, but what does love demand of me? Can I just, I'm gonna just, come on. The end doesn't justify the means if it hurts you of fulfilling your most important calling if it sometimes somehow hurts you in terms of you physically, you emotionally, it hurts your kids for a season. They're misprioritized. It somehow hurts your marriage. Come on, I have so much angst. And this is something that happens even in ministry world where these dudes are like, God's calling me to this. This is God's will for my life. And yet it's terrible on their kids and they're sacrificing their kids on the altar of ministry. And somehow the end justifies the means because I'm doing it for God and God's called me to this. And I just always wanna say, bluntly, you misheard God because anything that takes away from your most important calling to love you, to love your kids, to love your wife, to feed your faith, that's not God speaking because God never contradicts himself. Listen, some of us there's this great opportunity. It's going to pay more. And you uproot your family and you take them to another city with no thought of what community you're going to ingrain them in, no thought of what church is there. But you just think, no, this is God and this is great. And it's an awesome opportunity and it's going to work out. And though a hundred people have done this and a lot of times it doesn't work out great and they didn't have the foresight to go, God, is this really, is this really going to help us? Is this really going to feed our faith? And literally you're undermining your most important calling for your life, which is, to feed the faith of your family, to raise up your kids, to love and follow Jesus, to invest in your marriage and in your life. And so for some of us, you don't need more clarity. The question of what does love demand already clarifies it for you. And this decision is gonna hurt you. It's gonna hurt your kids. It's gonna marginalize your wife. And what you think is so great that everybody's gonna pat you on the back for, God sees it differently. I've given you one measure of success. I love you more. Than you will ever know. You better go love you and love the people around you the way that I've loved you. That is the essence of the gospel, and that's the kind of life you will look back on and go, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So I'm gonna be done with this. I just I'm gonna ask you this final question. Because here's the reality: eventually, the decision that is so encompassed by so much uncertainty and so much, God, I don't really know. Eventually that decision, that point is gonna be a story that you tell in the future. That's all it's gonna be. And you have control over what kind of story you tell. You get to choose how you live. You get to choose how you respond to uncertainty. And many times it is only in retrospect where you find out whether that was a story of regret a story of faith but it's going to be a story you tell I love how the narrative ends in, in verse 20 it said after all of this happened with Jonathan's armor bearer and the Israelites it said then and only then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle and when all the Israelites all the Israelites thousands of men who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim may they start coming out of their caves and cisterns heard that the Philistines were on the run. They joined the battle in hot pursuit and in verse 23. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. That literally Jonathan in his single act of, mm, we give him a promise and we gotta go. It inspired an entire nation. You have no idea what your story of faith what it's gonna mean to somebody coming around you. And in many cases, it's not just gonna impact you, it's gonna impact some people coming behind you, some people around you, some kids that you haven't even met yet because they haven't even been born. But I'm telling you, you are writing a story of faith or you are fighting, writing a story of, I was debilitated by uncertainty, but your story has tremendous power. And so you just need to think of on the verge of wherever you're at right now, what kind of story do you wanna tell? And come on, these guys had no idea that the saving of Israel in this moment had bigger implications than just the saving of Israel in a battle because Israel's salvation set the stage and eventually they defeated their enemies and eventually they became a nation and eventually the promise that superseded every other promise came true and Jesus showed up on planet earth and he lived the life we couldn't live And he went to the cross to die for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And then in history, three days later, end of Easter weekend, he walks out of a grave alive. And come on, he did it all on a perhaps because he had no idea whether you were gonna reject him. He had no idea whether you were gonna turn your back on him and some of you have. He had no idea whether you were ever gonna accept him or not. But a perhaps was enough with a promise that I'm offering salvation to the world. I'm offering a relationship that can obliterate. shame and can rescue you from your darkest moments and it's worth me coming and laying it all on the line to go i don't know if you're gonna respond i don't know if you're gonna accept it i don't know if you're gonna move in my direction but perhaps you will with the promise of salvation to the world and come on you have every reason you have every reason to step out in faith and to trust god with wherever you're at right now And if you move and you make a decision and you act, doing it in faith, I'm telling you, God's gonna move. God's gonna direct your path. God's gonna light the way. God's gonna transform the desires of your heart. God's gonna grow your faith to where you don't need nearly as much certainty as maybe you need right now in this moment. And so what story do you want to tell? And I know for some of you, I'm speaking to you right now. Are you willing to move on the... Perhaps, but I've been given a promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's most important to know when you don't know. Would you guys just stand with me at both of our campuses right now? Just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And I have no idea where this lands, but... I know there's some very specific wrestling going on in these rooms, outside of these rooms and places and among people that we may never meet. And so I thank you for the ability and the power of your spirit to speak in ways that are very, very unique, even in this moment to thousands of people when we don't even know their story. So I pray that right now you would, you would do something in our heart that would give us the ability to see through the uncertainty that has caused us to hide, has caused us in some cases to relent and retreat, to not walk by faith, to tune out some voices that we should be tuning into, to tune into some voices that shouldn't have our ear, in some cases to lie to ourselves, or to have this idea that somehow my way is... It's gonna end up okay. And I'm gonna circumvent the consequences when we know that the very thing we're walking toward is sabotaging the most important thing about our life, to love you and to love others around us the way that you've loved us. And so God, I pray that for, I don't know how many people, that you would right now in this moment embolden us. I'm under no illusions just from my own life and my own story about how scary those moments are when we just know maybe not even what to do, but we know what we can't do. We know we can't stay here anymore. We know we can't stay in this anymore. We know that we can't be complacent any longer, but we've got to step in some direction. God, help us in the place of that uncertainty and that fear to see beyond it and to trust you. And for a lot of us today to to take the first step to move on to God, we're going in faith and perhaps you're gonna move through this, but either way, you've promised to be with me and that this may be the first line in a story that we're gonna write that is gonna impact and embolden and even inspire some other people around us who are literally unbeknownst to us, they're waiting for our faith. Use us as a catalyst, help us as a church to continue to be comfortable with this in every season. We do not know the future. We have been called to walk by faith. Help us to do it well. We pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts basically this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people and the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings one of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus and one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from you can belong here before you believe And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.